Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning with a great sense of your majesty before us, Lord with a wonder of your word, Lord. And now we come, Lord, to learn from you, our teacher, our father. Teach us, Lord, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, you thought it would never happen, but we actually are finishing a chapter. <laughs> and we're starting another one. So we're really in chapter, we're, we're going to finish up here, chapter 48. So but we're going to read this morning, chapter 49, verses the first four verses Chapter 49, the first four verses. Don't get too hopeful. We're only going to cover the first two, but (laughs) we're going to read four. Okay, here we go. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Okay, so now here we are. We're coming, as you said, here to the, we're we're really finishing up uh, chapter 48. And as we do, we just kind of take one last look back on chapter 48, and we see how this chapter was really the announcement of the dying of, of Jacob. And knowing he was dying, then what happened was Jacob called for his favorite son, ah, Joseph. And Joseph called for his two sons to go in so that Jacob could bless them. And especially, it was Jacob's idea to incorporate Joseph's two sons fully, 100%, into the family. And this he did by adopting Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So it's been a very moving chapter for us as we, as we see Jacob, uh, whom we've come to know so well, and he's dying, and yet he bears his heart open to Joseph and his two grandsons. We've seen him in this state of physical weakness, and we've also seen him in a state of getting stronger and stronger spiritually at the same time. And it's really been a privilege for us to, to, to witness all of this that, that, that in this chapter of this, this loving father, Jacob, now telling the most important lessons that he's learned in life. So he's sharing with them, and what we've seen is that he wants to pass on to Joseph what he's learned, the most important thing he's learned in life. And so that truth of what it is, the very important thing he's, he's learned in life, is all about a special person, a very special person that Jacob has called in verse 16, the angel, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. 
That's the one he's calling on. Bless the lads. Let my name be named on them and so forth. And we can see how, how, how Jacob has just about seized on Joseph to tell him about this angel. Now, he, we saw he hasn't called him an angel. This is a special angel. It's the angel. And every time that, that, that Jacob speaks about this angel, it's always in connection with God. It's always in connection with God. He has called this angel a man in Genesis 32. He said that this man was God and that when he looked into the face of this angel, this man, he saw God. He said, I saw the face of God. He named the place that. And then, and he's spoken about this angel then who appeared as a man and, and yet all the fountain of blessings to Jacob, they all come from this angel. This angel is, is, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Jacob's redeemer, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. He's our redeemer. So he redeemed Jacob, and Jacob has not used that word redeemed lightly. As we mentioned, it's the first time it appears in the Bible. But he's used this word redeemed because he's thinking, Jacob's thinking of the underlying meaning of the word redeemed, which is to rescue. And he's saying, he's saying, look, as I look back over my life, and I see all these instances of uh, evil, really, in bondage and bondage and, and a terrible situation with Laban. Literally, he was in bondage there. And, and then the evil from Esau and the evil from the Canaanites, the evil from the famine, the evil from his own house, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's too painful to, to look back over old Jacob's life. But anyway, he looks back over and he says, redeemed. He says, he, I, I've been rescued from all of those things. We identify with that. We identify that when we sing to the Lord Jesus this hymn, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, safe, now safe am I. Souls in danger, look above. Jesus completely saves he will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. So this is how this is how we see the Lord Jesus as our redeemer. This is how we see him. And, and especially, you cannot look at the Lord Jesus as a redeemer without seeing the purchase money that he used to redeem us. That's his blood. It's his own blood. That's where we that, that's why 1 Peter 1 18 and 19 is so important for us because it tells us that. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain lifestyle received, inherited by our fathers, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. He's always seen in the scripture in connection with his blood in Revelation, I mean to say in heaven, he's always seen in connection with his blood. For example, it says Revelation starts off in Revelation 1.5, when it speaks about Jesus Christ, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then the theme is carried through in Revelation 5, Revelation 5.6, Revelation 5.6, where John says, I beheld, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four elders, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Well, how does the lamb look as it's been slain? With blood, with blood. And then in Revelation 19, Revelation 19, 13, 19, 13, it speaks about the Lord Jesus who was clothed, clothed 
with a vesture dipped in blood. A vesture dipped in blood. You know, most people, they want to, if you get blood on, a, on some clothing, you want to go and clean it off right away. You want to get OxyClean or whatever it is. It can take the blood out, right? But not him. His vesture is, is like purposefully dipped in blood because it's the statement. It's the statement that he is the redeemer and that's the purchase money. So Jacob said the angel redeemed him or rescued him from all the evil. And we know the Lord Jesus has rescued us, not just physically, but the Lord Jesus rescued us from the destruction that our sin had put us on a course of. That's what he means, David means in Psalm 103.4. Psalm 103.4 where he says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. And the destroyer is the devil. And we're no match for the devil. We were no match. We are no match. We are no match for the devil. That's why we needed the Lord to come and do what he did to the power of the devil, which is, talk, which is told us in Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13, it says, the Lord Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness. He delivered us from the power of darkness. In other words, he rescued us from the power of darkness. And this power of darkness is made up of beings. We can't see them, but they're real and they're strong. And they're called principalities. They're called powers. And, and what he did was he went, as it says in Colossians 2.15, Colossians 2.15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So when it says that, he spoiled them, what that means is that he stripped them. He stripped them of their armor. He stripped them of their power. And then he triumphed over them. Now, the devil's strategy has always been the same since the garden. It's the same today. It's to bind us up. It's to bind man. It's to tie him up. Because that's what sins does. It's that sin, it, it, sins tie a man. They bind him. And that's why it says in 1 John 3, 8, 1 John 3, 8, he that committeth, he that committeth sin is of the devil. The devil sinneth from the beginning. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, when it says that he might destroy the works of the devil, I've said before, it means to disintegrate, but it also has within it this meaning of that he might untie, that he might unbind, and that's what he did. So as we look at Jacob in chapter 48, we see him wanting uh, his sons, Joseph's sons, wanting to receive this blessing, this blessing, and we see um, Jacob here just enthralled, just captivated by this angel, Jehovah Jesus, who has been a man in, in chapter 32. And we see here that Joseph, now we turn our eyes to Joseph, he really wants his sons to get this blessing. And so Joseph brings his sons in to meet Jacob. And we see how important these blessings are to Joseph. They're very important they're very important, and 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 as he and Joseph, in order to express how important these blessings were to him, he he bows. Joseph bows and puts his face down to the earth. Now, there's been within this family a competing spirit that's different that has threatened the family of God, and this competing spirit was championed by Esau. 
And the saddest legacy that Esau has is told to us in Genesis 25, Genesis 25, 34, where it says Esau despised his birthright. He didn't care about it. So in order to make the statement that they were of an opposite spirit, he was of an opposite spirit, Joseph bows with his face to the ground before he gets this blessing. That's a spirit Joseph wanted to make clear, that he didn't have that, and therefore, in verse 12, he bowed. So that closes chapter 48, and now we come to the great chapter 49, which starts with the word and. That's what it does. It says that. It says and. It says it there. Most of the chapters start with and, but this one starts with and. It says in the Hebrew, and. So, okay. So what's that mean? That means that chapter 49 is a continuation of chapter 48 because we're moving from a private meeting with Joseph and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to a more general meeting, so to speak. Sounds like the United Nations. But anyways, a more general meeting with with all of Jacob's sons. So this is, you know, when we're going to look here at chapter 49, and we're going to come to the highlight, because so many things are said in chapter 49, and you wonder, well, you know, where's the highlight? Where's the climax of it? Well, clearly, it comes when Jacob comes to Judah. Because what he does here, what he's going to do here, is he's going to set Judah as the preeminent brother among the brothers, the brother who's going to stand out, stand above all the brothers. And we're going to see the reason for that. Is he, Why is he going to stand out? Why is he going to be preeminent? Why is he going to be exalted above all the other brothers? It's because the Messiah is going to come through Judah. So chapter 49 is a great chapter because in essence, Chapter 49 is like, it's like the beginning of the close. It's not the last chapter, but anyway. It's like the high point of this chapter is in verse 8 when Jacob says to Judah, Judah, thou art he. That's it. That's the high point there. That's the great declaration that the Messiah is going to come to Judah. And this declaration here, it's like, it's like a bloom. It's almost the bloom of this great prophecy You know, the seed of the great prophecy came right after the fall of man. Right after the fall of man, God made this great promise that the rescuer from the tyranny, from the bondage of Satan, would come to the woman in this very strange title, which is given to nobody else in Scripture. And that title is the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. That's in Genesis 3.15. That was like the beginning. If you like to think of it like a little bud, in Genesis 3.15, when God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman is going to bruise or crush the head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So when God said that to Adam and Eve, that the rescuer was going to come from the seed of the woman, they knew, Adam and Eve knew, they understood that God was speaking of himself being that rescuer that he, God, who was promising this seed of the woman was going to crush the head, that he was going to become the seed of the woman, that God was going to become man, and it was going to be born of a, of a woman. He would be the God-man who would crush the head of the devil. That explains why when Eve had her first baby, and she thought that, okay, here he is, and so she said, I got the God-man, 
And that's why she said the words in Genesis 4.1, Genesis 4.1, and Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man. What it really says is, who is the Lord? I have gotten a man who is the Lord. Now, I know your Bible says, because all of them do say, that Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. But that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew is crystal clear when it says, Kaniti ish et Yahweh, or Jehovah. Kaniti, I have gotten ish, a man, et, who is. Doesn't mean from, who is the Lord. Now that's important because it shows that from the moment that God made this promise of the rescuing Messiah, that it would come to the woman, that it was going to be God in the form of a man. So that godly remnant, since Eve, has been looking for who is this man who's God? Where is he? And that's why verse 8 in chapter 49, this great declaration that the rescuing Messiah man would, who would be God was going to come through Judah was so important, so important. Now, therefore, in this chapter, it's revealed then how all the other tribes, all the other brothers were going to, to support the Messiah. Now, we see in verse 1, we see in verse 1, it says here, and Jacob called unto his sons. Now, from that statement, we can see how probably, how did he do that? Probably messengers just went out all over to, to find the sons of Jacob, wherever they were. Maybe some of them were in the fields and some were in homes, who knows? And the messengers came and, and they told that, look, you know, your father, Jacob, is summoning you to, to his bed, which is really his deathbed. And so now Jacob, they come in, and Jacob, he's not lying down. He's sitting up. It took all the strength he had to be able to sit up, prop himself up into a sitting position on his bed. And that's the way his sons find him when they enter into this room. So from verse 1, we start to feel the urgency that Jacob is feeling. He has something really important to say to his sons, and it's not just goodbye. And, you know, this is kind of interesting. He calls all of his sons together. You know, many people when they are dying, they don't want a large gathering of people around them when they die. I mean, they're hurting, they're uncomfortable, they're, mi- they're just miserable, and the last thing they want to do is to have to entertain or be hospitable to a crowd when they are dying. They just want a couple of their loved ones around them, and that's all. But not Jacob. Not Jacob. Jacob is so much not thinking of himself and his condition at this time that he seems to be almost oblivious to himself as he feels so compelled to get this message out that's in his heart. So Jacob calls for all his sons to be around him, and here they all come, and he's going to tell them the prophecies that he's, that he's filled with. Now, we really get this sense here as we're reading this that Jacob has got something very important to say, and so we feel this importance. Okay, as soon as they all come in the house, Jacob tells them in verse 1, gather yourselves together. And what he was saying, that the 12 sons, you should assemble yourselves. You should assemble yourselves in the order of your birth, right? You know, Reuben should be first, and then there would be Simeon, then Levi, and then Judah, and so forth. Now, just think of what Jacob saw at that time. He looks at all his sons. And, and, and by the way, when he looks at all his sons, he's thinking, that's very comforting for me. What a comfort it was for Jacob to look and see all his children around him. And as he looked around, there was not one missing. They were all 12 of them were there. And that was amazing. That was a comfort to him because 
He thought for sure that the day would never come, that this day would never come when he would be able to look and see all his, his children around him as he was preparing to leave earth. I mean, there was a time, and it wasn't very long ago, and we just read it, in Genesis 42.36, Genesis 42.36, when Jacob said, and Jacob their father said unto them, me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. I wonder, since Jacob said that, I wonder what he was thinking now as he looked at all his children around him and remember how he had said, I've been bereaved of my children and I'm not gonna see Joseph any longer in this life and I'm not gonna see Simeon any longer in this life and I'm probably not gonna see Benjamin. I'm about to not see Benjamin any longer in this life. I wonder what he was thinking as he looked at all of them. He looked at Joseph. He already said what he thought about Joseph in the last chapter, verse 11, Genesis 48, 11, 48, 11, Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. And lo, God has showed me also thy seed. So I wonder what Jacob thought as he looked at Simeon and he looked at Benjamin and he thought, I thought for sure I'd never see you again. I mean, what a sense of completion this was for him to to be able to look at all his sons and, and he thinks to himself, they're all here, they're all here. You know, it reminds me, every time I go down to the koi pond at home, you know, the first thing I do, I count them. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Got them. Just to make sure that they're all, just to make sure that a raccoon or a blue heron didn't get one of them. I've learned to count to 13 really fast. <laughs> and it's not easy because the black koi, he blends in with the bottom of the pond. So it's the kind of, and you got to count quick because they're moving, the koi are moving, so you can't, otherwise you're going to double count, you get very frustrating, believe me. Anyway, I can imagine that Jacob, well, not to say that the Jacob's sons were koi fish, but anyway, I can imagine Jacob sitting there and counting to 12 and saying like me, you know, like me with the koi fish, yep, they're all here, they're all here. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. 
early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Grow deeper in God's Word with the Friendship with God King James Version Study Bible prepared by Tom Cantor. This genuine lambskin large print study Bible features the history of Israel, full-color timeline and maps, frequently asked questions about the Jewish Messiah, prophecy and fulfillment study, Hebrew root notations and definitions, the life study of Joseph, and so much more. Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95. And receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor, along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. 